to know something crazy? I started your latest podcast yesterday morning while I was running. I was about 12 minutes in when I realized I don't have golf friends like you do, and it made me sad. I turned it off and listened to TurfNet. You're a lucky guy. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Blind Shots Podcast. I'm your host, David Hill, coming to you as always from Lexington, Kentucky. This is episode 19, Golf Friends and the Brotherhood of the Bogey, an audio essay. Before I fire up my monologue, a reminder that the Blind Shots Podcast is a member of the Talking Golf Network of Shows, hosting a cadre of superior golf podcasts, including the Thing About Golf Podcast with Rod Morey. His latest episode with Brad Hughes was... As insightful as I can remember listening to with regard to the actual playing of golf as I've heard on a podcast, do yourself a favor and check it out. Reminder, you can interact with this show on Twitter at BlindShotsPod. Any feedback, good, bad, or ugly, is appreciated. You could probably best submit it there. You can find my thoughts and writings online over at OneBeardedGolfer.com. And reminder that the Blind Shots podcast is sponsored by me, David Hill. In addition to playing, talking, and writing about golf, I'm a licensed realtor in Kentucky with Rector Hayden Realtors. I work with homeowners buying and selling their homes and also with investors and businesses on commercial properties in central Kentucky. You can find my contact information and more about me over at davidhill.rhr.com. Reach out to me if you've got a real estate question on the tip of your brain and I'll be happy to discuss it with you. And now, on to the show. What you heard there to open the show was a private message I received from a Twitter friend. And it hit me kind of hard. It put me in an introspective mood and uh, had me jot down several thoughts that I just couldn't get away from. So I've got a couple of shows in the can. I've got some recordings that I need to edit, but uh, this week I'm just going to talk. So it's going to be one of those type of episodes. You know, I didn't see what his message told me. You know, that I have friends or acquaintances in golf that um, that someone would be jealous of. You know, that's something I see in other people. I see other groups, people that keep a regular game at a club or other golf trips or, or even the groups on social media that you may be familiar with that I'm jealous of. Um, so hearing that someone envied what I have in my life was a little bit humbling. And again, it was something I had to think about. I work hard to cultivate my friends long term. Uh, I think my wife would back me up on that. She sees the the efforts I go to. Uh, Part of it, honestly, is a perpetual fear of losing my friends um, or of not being liked. I guess that's my own deeply uh, dime store psychology assessment. But it's true. That's something that has been true for me as long as I can remember. Maybe uh, just born of uh, the neighborhood and the situations or the circumstances I lived in as a kid. Um, but that is something deep-seated in my personality that drives me, and so uh, that's why I always value the, the people I can call a friend. You know, within golf, um, I didn't come up in the game. You know, my first golf friends were my fraternity brothers in college. You know, we were, these were boys that had grown up basically playing golf. Um, most of them probably at country clubs, if I'm remembering correctly. 
it was golf in the Tiger Woods era. You know, it was something popular. It was something fun. Golf courses were busy. Uh, this was back in the late 90s and early 2000s. This was before Golf Now and online tee times. You know, this was back when you had to call the golf course to, to make a tee time. Uh, God help you if you caught one of those automated systems that you actually had to um, punch three or four buttons through before you got to talk to a, a live person, if ever. Uh, the game we used to play was the shell game was you would, um, if you couldn't get through, if you caught busy signals or they weren't answering where you really wanted to play, you'd call someplace else, lower down your list, and you'd make a tee time for a weekend whenever it was convenient. Not too early. This is college we're talking about. Um, you'd make the tee time, and then you'd try to improve your station in life. You'd call around to the other courses, see if you could get a better deal, better offer. The trick, the kicker, was just that you had to try to remember to cancel that first tee time. I like to tell you that that always happened, but I won't. Um, you know, you had to avoid, when you're playing that game, you had to avoid the places that would require a credit card uh, to hold the tea time reservation. And once that became a thing, um, the, the shell game got a lot less fun, a lot less important. But, you know, these were, the golf was secondary back then in this phase of my life. It was a, we were stereotypical frat bros. You know, we were sneaking beer onto the course in our golf bag or a flask or a small whiskey bottle. It was an excuse to drink with my buddies for four or five hours to essentially hide on the golf course from life. Um, two things stand out from that era, from my golf friends that, that time. Uh, we were bad at golf just across the board. Um, there were one or two guys that, uh, I guess in the entire fraternity that were players and that can still, they're still players today. They were players before they got there and they can still put a, a score to be proud of up. But most of us were hacks and still are. Uh, bad at golf and two, that that phase lasted far too long for me um, on purpose. I tried to drag that out um, way past when I should, way past graduation, way past uh, law school graduate school for some of the other guys um, just what it was that idea of four or five hours once a weekend twice if we're really being lucky slash irresponsible of just drinking and goofing off and chasing a little ball around from a cart no less um, that phase lasted you know probably into my 30s um, you know it, it eventually gave way to Sort of the next phase was a solitary phase of golf. All of my close golf friends, all of these fraternity brothers, had moved away at some point. I was kind of the last man standing in Lexington at various points. Um, you know, they, some of them had given up golf. Some of them I just didn't see often enough to, to tee it up with. So it was a weird, a weird space in my golf life. Um, I filled that time with, with other pursuits, probably got the hangovers probably lasted a little longer. Um, at some point I became a homeowner. So, uh, yard chores and tasks started to eat into the time that I could, uh, meet up with the guys to, to go play golf. Um, you know, having a, a lack of regular playing partners coincided to with a time that I wasn't very keen on being a solo golfer. 
uh, either too shy or too stuck up or too scared uh, to just show up at a course and get paired with somebody that I didn't know to be the, the fourth man in a foursome or the third man in a threesome. That just didn't appeal to me. Um, you know, that, that was the guy that we all cracked jokes about in some random on the golf course. Um, you know, and prior to the, the big crash in, you know, 2008, 2009, 2010 even, golf courses were still pretty full. Um, the, the game didn't really crash down probably until the, the second half of 2008 when the, the world came crashing down through the financial crisis. But, um, you know, one, for me, one sobering midlife crisis later and walking nine holes of golf by myself seemed like a pretty good idea. It was an economical, health-beneficial way to spend an hour or two. You know, you could walk nine holes in 90 minutes uh, less if you're moving and nobody's in front of you. You know, by this time, I had kind of cleared through the bachelor party golf circuit. Uh, there was a, a period where, uh, you know, the only time I got to play with those guys from college was where somebody's getting married, and we were doing maybe a, a day trip or a, a weekend somewhere, and a golf was involved in there. Maybe the fraternity alumni scramble each year, uh, but that was it. But, um, you know, those, good to, those get-togethers did spawn in this period in interest. The idea of the golf trip uh, started to catch on with me. You know, that was a way that I thought I could hang on to those golf friends a little longer, uh, maybe extend or recapture some of that uh, that college magic. You know, the I had, I guess, one consistent golf friend, uh, John Mark, through this period. He never moved it that far away, but, uh, you know, everybody else. But the golf trip idea, and he was a member of that first golf trip. I'll give you an example of how uh, that sort of college phase ended in a, in a blaze of glory or not. Um, we made the my first attempt at a golf trip. Uh, we made one four-person trip down to uh, the Birmingham area of the Robert Trent Jones Golf Trail. We played Highland Park and the courses at Oxmoor Valley and the courses at Silver Lake. And it was fine. It was uh, an April trip. We enjoyed it. You know, it was kind of a it went fast. It was a, I guess, a three-night trip. Kind of a, a fear and loathing in Las Vegas. Um, but those, the four of us have not teed it up since then, I don't think. Um, not together. It, it, which is, you know, it's a little sad, it's a little weird, but uh, we are geographically spread out and have families and careers, so not all that surprising, I guess. That was eight years ago, though. Um you know, came back from that trip with a 26 handicap and decided the following year was the year I was going to get serious about golf and, and take steps to improve. So um, it wasn't a complete waste, but, you know, that was a, a trip I thought was going to be uh, repeated annually for the next, you know, three or four decades. And that's how I saw that going. But it did, nonetheless, even though that didn't work out, uh, it did help spur forward my my love of golf you know at this time in the solitary phase in between groups of friends solo golf included forays into tournaments for the first time not just leagues um, not just necessarily men's leagues but events through the Kentucky Golf Association which have been really fun 
Uh, that's been an experience I'm, I'm glad I got involved in. I've seen courses that I otherwise probably wouldn't have ever had reason to play or had an invite to. I've met some, some guys that I still keep up with and develop some camaraderie with. So I'm very grateful for that. Uh, again, a- another step on the path to fuel my desire to get better. Humbling, uh, for sure. Finishing, getting, getting my tail kicked regularly by uh, some guys that can play. Um, I think we all know that feeling. Um, so I eventually got to a point where I did something about it. Um, but through that phase until, you know, a few years ago, it was still no really new golf friends. Most of my rounds were alone. I did invest in a walking bag uh, for those walking nine holes and, and 18s where I could sneak them in. A performance golf ball and lessons later, and, and I was on my way. But that eventually gave way to the blog era. Uh, the onebeardedgolfer.com, once I um, sort of invested in that and started going, I knew that golf trips were going to have to be a part of that for content creation if nothing else. And it's kind of the modern era where I I guess I'm on the tail end of that right now. Um, And in the beginning, it's ridiculous in retrospect, but I was, you know, I kind of felt like a man on an island. The the college phase was over, so I was going to throw myself into the blog, and it was a way I could justify traveling and and seeing some new courses, I guess, if I was going to be doing it on my own. you know, the, the college guys were gone. I wasn't particularly close to my law school buddies for golf purposes. They were all, they all started acting like adults much earlier than I did um, with families and, and getting serious about their careers. They had stress, they had those stresses way before I did. Um, so I was plugging along with the blog and uh, I thought I should do a whole section on a top 100 list because I guess through the early 2010s every golf blog I read seemed to have a top 100 list there somebody was on a quest to play the top 100 public the top 100 private whatever they there were all the golf week golf digest golf magazine everybody had a list everybody had a criteria now parenthetically I realized pretty quickly that nobody cared about my tooth you know if I was the 2000th person to write up an amateur review of Harbor Town uh, and post that on my blog because the people a lot smarter than me, a lot uh, better writers than me and with a lot better photographs uh, were going, you know, had reviews out there. So that wasn't going to be my niche. But anyway, at the before I learned that lesson, uh, it, I, what, I was going to do a top 100 quest because it seemed like everybody did that. And so the closest, cheapest, uh, top 100 public course to Lexington was Longaberger up in uh, east of the Columbus area. Longaberger Golf Course, which is now uh, Virtues Golf Club. I think it's in Nashport, Ohio. Well, it happens that that is just 20 minutes away from the home of friend of the podcast and contributing editor Matt Cheney. Uh, so we decided, I grabbed our mutual friend Brian. And we decided we'd go up and do a, an overnight trip, uh, play Longaberger, and then play Players Club on the way home the next day. And that the second iteration of the golf trip uh, was born. We headed to Baltimore, Ohio, got our tails kicked pretty good by those courses, had a great time, and resolved to do it again the next year. And so 
that is the foundation of what has become a seven-year golf trip experience. It was forged with just a simple idea of wanting to go see a, a top 100 course. Um, you know, the, the that threesome from the first golf trip has grown into a nice-some, nine-some, uh, and has spawned numerous outings, numerous subgroups, uh, including the uh, the guys that were part of my Americans in Scotland journey in 2019, which was one year ago this month, coincidentally. Uh, these these golf friends, these golf trip guys, they were the the group of friends that I didn't know I was looking for. And now, frankly, I don't know what I would do if I hadn't have found them. You know, we don't hang out together socially a lot. Uh, who does in 2020, frankly? But, uh, you know, we are geographically scattered. We have careers and families, successes and failures. Uh, I'm probably not as fun at parties as I used to think I was. Um, but, you know, regardless, it's hard to get to one in Cincinnati or uh, Columbus on short notice. But I think it's fair to say golf occupies a goodly portion of my free time consciousness because I can play or plan or practice it by myself and then look forward to sharing that with my familiar golf friends the next time I see them. So these are the guys that when an opportunity comes up for a special round or a day trip um, you know, or an invite someplace and I can bring a friend or two uh, or some wacky idea to go uh, someplace, these are the guys that pop into my mind. They're the ones that get the call or the text. Yeah, I will actually call uh, for golf purposes or email. Um, they're the ones that, again, accompanied me to Scotland they're the guys that I've seen Pinehurst and Forest Dunes with. Uh, they're the ones that I've gotten to play Valhalla with, to play Mirfield Village uh, with, that I otherwise probably wouldn't have taken, wouldn't have had the opportunity or taken the chance. Um, you know, I'm not so insulated that I don't golf with other people. Uh, you know, the, for instance, the golf leagues here in Lexington, uh, the men's leagues that were combined this year into one kind of omnibus league, those have been great. I've enjoyed those immensely. Um, I've been at it a, a couple of years, and this year with having flights at each event, I've basically played with the same 10 or 12 guys all year, and I feel like I've finally got some maybe some budding camaraderie with those guys, um, and I really have enjoyed that. That's been a, a bright spot in 2020. But I can probably count on my fingers the number of rounds that weren't either in those leagues uh, by myself or with my my golf friends you know a and I'm not necessarily ashamed of that I one of the things about golf that I love is that a round of golf is three or four hours of someone's basically shared attention you know it's you've got them to yourself while you're pursuing a shared entertainment um, vehicle which is the golf course in the game obviously but it's such a great way to get to know people or if you already know somebody to move past the the, the surface pleasantries that we all have the the kind of nonsense that we all do um, to keep up you know that's time to to catch up and keep up uh, with points of life uh, someone else's life that you can remember, that you can just go beyond the surface. 
you know, and I don't take that for granted. Probably the opposite, really. I have to to consciously kind of throw the governor on the number of calls and group texts and uh, group me app messages to all of my to my golf friends. You know, I have to not write or, or start too many of those for fear of being tuned out due to oversaturation. But I, I'm grateful. I, these are these people are important to me. What we do together is important to me. So I'm always looking forward to the next time I get together with them. Uh, everybody in this group, uh, they all carry official golf handicaps now, and I take some pride in that. Uh, a couple of them, it was kicking and screaming to get them to go that way. Um, but if I have helped spur maybe even a, a little bit or, or increase their love of golf a little bit, then I, I take a little pride in that. Uh, you know, we're all members of the Brotherhood of the Bogey. The best among us are low and mid single handicap golfers. You know, they can break par on a, a good day or on a best day, but, you know, we're all just trying to par half the holes, generally. Some of them even less. So what what will the next revolution be in our, our merry band? What do golf friends look like going forward as we're all north of 40 and heading, uh, heading into the back nine? Well, for me, the great golf joy of 2020 you know, the great joy of 2020 period, other than, uh, you know, the good fortune to have continued good health for my entire family, has been that my sons have both joined our brotherhood. You know, they have taken their first steps towards permanent membership, if you will. You know, they, it's the 2020 is the year that both of them actually joined me on a real golf course for the five-year-old started as something he and I could do while on vacation down at Hilton Head while his brother napped in the afternoon. Um, you know, he got to ride it. I bribed him by letting him ride in the cart and I even let it let him sit in my lap and drive it. Um, so he was instantly hooked on that. But let him tee off on a few tees when he wanted to. I uh, was happy to drop a ball just short of the green, hand him his pitching wedge and say, okay, let's go. You know, his, his putting is comical, hilarious, um, how bad his distance control is, but obviously that doesn't matter. It's, you know, he got to put on a collared shirt and put on his golf hat and be out there with his dad and make some memories that he still talks about to this day. You know, he got some souvenir tees and a souvenir ball marker out of the deal. And, you know, those are things he still points out and he remember he has those memories clear as day, which is really just an awesome heartwarming thing for me. You know, and those experiences this summer begat some incredible twilight golf adventures for us here in Lexington. You know, we would head over to Gabriel Jr. Course at Picadome is about a mile away from our house here in, in on the south side of Lexington. And Ben knows that I will occasionally sneak out for nine holes in the summers um, if there's enough daylight. Well. After that, after such a positive Hilton Head experience, after he had so much fun on the golf course with me, I thought we should probably, ex, you know, extend that, um, give him the chance to do that here. He's got a, a little golf bag. He's got a little U.S. Kids um, three-club set and a putter and a, a double shoulder bag that he is strong enough to carry and tall enough to carry now. So on with the hat, on with the, the collared shirt, and away we went. Um, we make our own holes. You know, putt till it's in the hole. 
work on golf, not just golf swing. I think he had maybe some fatigue with it. Uh, last year he practiced a lot. We went to a lot of clinics and hit balls. And, um, you know, I, I don't, I'm fairly certain that at age four last year, he didn't see the big picture of what that meant. Um, but being able to kind of take a, take golf swings on an actual golf course, uh, I think was great for him being out there at magic hour, you know, that golden hour of, of, you know, long shadows and, and gold rays of sun in between some pine trees. When it's peaceful, the, the city is quieting down. Uh, nature comes out and, and shows itself before people go to sleep. Like, you know, saw groundhogs, hawks, uh, frogs, all kinds of fun stuff. Um, those are things that he has strong, positive memories of. You know, and the, the thing that's important, the thing that, I took away from this year is that from several of those experiences, he never once asked me what his score was on the whole, never cared. You know, he just wanted to hit a good golf shot. He wanted to see how far he could hit it. He wanted to hit it close to the hole. Uh, but he, he never once said, daddy, how many was that? You know, we talked about what par was and I do some math and, you know, 120 yard course is maybe a par six for him par five based on how far he hits it and he was fine with that um it was just it was it was finding that golf shot that feeling of hitting the ball and just being out there and enjoying it and that led uh, a couple of those evenings led to our zenith experience for the summer which was uh, the two-year-old one demanding really to join us one of his I guess one of his consistent personality traits uh, through his now three years, he just turned three, is that he never wanted to be treated differently. He never wanted to be treated like a baby. If his brother was able to do it, he wanted to be able to do it. Uh, and it didn't matter food, chores, clothing, fun activities. That was just always his attitude. Uh, even eating at the table, never wanted baby sippy cups or or different silverware or whatever he wanted to eat what we were eating he wanted to eat it the way we were eating so he joined us for one of those uh, evening sessions out at the golf course and it really was magical uh, just the three of us being out there from a, a father's perspective I tried to look at it from his perspective too you know, being out on a golf course with you know 30 40 50 yard wide fairways just that massive of green space because it's a core course. There's no houses on the course that we go to. And just kind of having that space to run, and literally just run on smooth, you know, tightly mown fairways, and just having that freedom. It had to be, I don't know, don't want to say overwhelming, but it had to just really be fun for him. Uh, you know, I take that for granted. You know, I, I like being out in nature, but... You know, from someone that's three feet tall, it probably looks a lot different than it, than it does for me. Uh, it, it was for, you know, for all, all three of us, it was a good counting experience. We'd start at the tee, walk down the fairway, and we'd pass the 200 marker, and I'd ask if Ben wanted to play from there. And I'd, we'd pass the 150 marker and ask if he wanted to play from there. And he can read the numbers himself. And so that was, kind of became one of our little exercises. And, you know, once, once we got comfortable somewhere, we'd just drop a tee and let the little guy, let Ben hit first, and then let the little guy hit. And, you know, at that point, his swing looked a lot more like a hockey swing than a golf swing. 
but he didn't care. He just knocked the ball around uh, until he got bored with it or until he got too far away, and then we'd kind of regroup. Um, coincidentally, since then, his swing has improved immensely. Uh, he will be out driving his older brother fairly soon. I'm, I have complete confidence, so I can't wait to have those battles. But it was, despite the technique, you know, it was just a... It's something that has become a fun default for us. It is a de facto activity that we can go do on short notice. We can do it in the backyard with wiffle balls and birdie balls. So um, I like that that's something we can all do together relatively for relatively low cost. Um, you know, it gives me an excuse to uh, start presenting some of the tenets of the, the brotherhood, if you will, the, the principles of golf that I think are so important. You know, I recently gave an interview for another podcast and I was asked, you know, why golf? Well, after 30 minutes, I'd barely scratched the surface of the life lessons and the favorite characteristics of the game of golf. To say nothing of the sport, to say nothing of the business of it, but uh, just things like golf is an imperfect game. You never, you never win golf. Okay, nobody's ever played a perfect round. There is a progress not perfection element to golf yeah you can win a match and you can win a tournament um, but nobody has ever played a perfect round of golf you know I, I like the way that the serenity prayer sort of translates in golf and, and that's a thread that runs through it control what you can control let the other stuff go and try to be smart enough to know the difference you know control your effort control your attitude control your technique as best you can let the results be what they may. You're going to get some bad breaks. You're going to get some rub at the green. You're going to get some good breaks. Uh, you're going to hit. Lord knows I hit enough cart paths to get extra yardage uh, this summer when I was playing you know, exclusively with the five wood. It, you know, all of that stuff comes out in the wash. Um, unfortunately, I think that's where a lot of people get golf wrong. The, the little bit of dime store sports psychology that I've been exposed to, that it, it seems to be pretty consistent that Control your attitude, control your preparation and your effort, and you know, just accept the results. So that, that's something I'm looking forward to exposing the boys to. Um, you know, one of the one of the neat things about golf is how it grows. You start out as a beginner, and you're trying to figure out how to swing the club. You're trying to f master the physical mechanics of it, how to make the ball go where you want it to go. And that's a long battle for some of us. It takes a couple of decades. Some people are natural athletes, and maybe it comes really easy to them. But uh, it, that's sort of the first act of the play that is golf. Eventually, if you're lucky, you move to the second act, which is trying to master the mental side of golf. You know, assessing, assessing risk-reward correctly. You know, figuring out your style. Are you going to be aggressive versus conservative? Is that going to be fluid? Um, you know, do you develop the self-discipline to manage expectations? Those sorts of things. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe all sports are like that. I, I didn't get that in baseball. Baseball is much more just a game of, of repetition and of, uh, of, I thought, maybe more athletic skill. But 
because you're actually competing against somebody, whereas in golf, you know, you're competing against yourself. Um, but that that transition, you know, from purely a physical game to having the mental game, I, I look forward to challenging my boys with that. Um, of course, the, the the big picture things like etiquette and good manners, uh, how golf brings your character through, um, you know, either positively or ne- negatively, it's going to reveal your attitude and your view on life. Uh, the honesty element, you know, keep your own score, call your own penalties, play by the rules when nobody's watching. Uh, and the humility aspect to it, you know, it's, it's an easy game to be humbled by. You're going to have good days and bad days. Um, and humility in another sense that um, in something that took me maybe longer to discover than I wanted uh, with my former vanity handicap. But the, the number of people that care what I score during a round of golf basically begins and ends with me. Um, that's a hard lesson to learn sometimes. It, it definitely translates to other parts of life I've learned. Uh, so, you know, as neophytes at a young age, I'm hoping to ex- expose these things to, to my sons. Um, you know, they're, gonna, they're going to eventually get stronger. They're going to get faster. They're going to hit the ball further. There's a, a whole world of firsts within the game of golf that I can't wait for them to experience. Um, see, I, I want to see them strive for improvement in much the same way I've strived for improvement in golf. I guess as a, a postscript to this little monologue, I, I've had a, I guess in the spirit of improvement, had kind of a light bulb moment over the last week. And it's a big one. Uh, it's one of those where time stopped and all of a sudden I could see my golf swing and what its future was. And that's because I got to view my golf swing in the present. And who boy, there was a lot to learn there. Saw myself on video. Um, I was playing in a city tournament and the pro filmed our group's tee shots on one. And boy, I could tell instantly. I remember what hitting that shot felt like. And then I saw it on video and it seemed that um, it had just fallen apart. Bad path, bad contact. Um, I had violated essentially what my instructor had been trying to tell me for two years. That swinging harder does not make the ball go further. Um, and, you know, that hitting the ball in the center of the club face with a shorter swing, a more efficient swing, I was actually going to hit the ball further than gritting my teeth and trying to go max effort. And I knew that. Intellectually, I always knew that. But I could never take it to the course long term. So here I was. I'd been doing okay with my golf swing, kind of puttering along with the same scores all summer. And then TrackMan happened. I did my fitting for my driver last month for a new driver after I cracked my last one in that whole episode. And, you know, I had this data and, and it just ruined me. You know, it's, it's a shame that you can't give me the information because I, I, I get addicted to it and it dominates my thoughts in the absolute worst way. You know, I put up decent swing speed numbers with low spin with my driver. I was hitting up on it, hitting the ball a good distance, but had awful path numbers. And from that moment, from that fitting, I have been playing golf swing instead of playing golf. I'd been searching for 
I guess what I thought I should be doing rather than, you know, I was trying to exaggerate the, the positive things that, that he told me about from that data and trying to change the bad unsupervised, which is for me is always a terrible idea. And what did it get me? What did all of that six weeks of tinkering and, and work get me? It got me a sore back, got me some high scores and some frustration and, and decimated confidence. As soon as I saw that video, it all clicked. Um, you know, I, I stopped mentally. I made peace with no longer chasing that extra 15 yards or those mile-per-hour targets. I knew I had to shorten up, stay on plane, play the game rather than play the golf swing. Uh, you know, in an instant, something my pro had been preaching to me for two years kind of just sank in. Um you know, hitting the ball in the center of the club face is always going to win. Um, I joked with that pro that during that the track man fitting. I joked with him that if you know, I wasted the first 10 or 15 minutes of it doing the exact same thing that I saw in video uh, last week. Now, I, I joke with the pro that if you start all your clinics and all your lessons by telling people, explaining to them about light grip, light but firm grip pressure, and then maybe assign them the homework of, of sending them home to read Harvey Pinnock's chapter in his little red book about grip pressure, he'd never see half of them again because they'd instantly go out and start playing the best golf of their life. And I'm getting close to that. I feel like I'm on the doorstep of that right now. And, you know, part of me is disappointed. It's a shame that I, I figured it out in October when I've got one city tournament and maybe six weeks of decent golfable fall weather left in earnest. Um, you know... I've, I've got a confidence that I don't know that I've had before in golf. I've been close. I've been filled with hope many times. I've come out of a series of lessons with cautious optimism. But this was something that, you know, I don't think I'd ever seen video of myself in live fire golf tournaments. I've seen still photos. I've taken video of myself on the range in the winter a couple of times just to kind of as a, a checkup and figure out what I needed to work on. Um, but I've never had the conviction that I found, um, you know, the and what it was. I think I finally made peace with the logical disconnect between what I was being taught, what I heard in my lessons, and what I felt versus reality. You know, what that one, seeing that one swing on film showed me, you know, and that I wasn't doing what I thought I was doing, which is terrifying in some respects. But um, what it was, and I, I, I'll go into a short digression, I thought I was making a fuller shoulder turn, chasing a few more yards. That's what I thought. What figured out I was actually doing was I was lifting up my entire torso. Uh, obliterating my spine angle, messing up my path, uh, changing the plane of my hands completely all just because I was trying to, you know, up my distance just a little bit. It made the hold off fade that I'd been working on physically impossible. And that was infuriating in its own right, which, you know, fed, fed the demons even further. So seeing that 10 seconds of video brought kind of everything into focus. It was a moment of clarity and something I'd been trying to learn for a couple of years. But in an instant, it was the lesson that I didn't know I was looking for. And thank goodness for it. I guess much in the same way, 
you know, I'm confident this is going to help me. I hope it lasts through the winter. Um, but I'm sure I've got a, a new weapon in the arsenal against my golf friends. Those same friends that, to circle back, I didn't know I was looking for either. You know, probably one of my favorite things about my golf friends is the recurring matches we renew each time we get together. Our standard wager is a $2 Nassau match play format. It's not a lot of money, admittedly. And I will fight and I will grind to win those matches like there were six or seven or ten zeros behind that two that we were playing for. And it's such a joy at the end of each match. You know, win, lose, or draw. It, those, it really is the, the fights that bring me so much joy. Because it's real competition and it's real camaraderie and I'm quite certain I've just had a good time. So, to close this out, Trevor... If you're listening, thank you for the feedback. Thank you for chiming in and bringing into my consciousness, um, pointing out what I have, even if I didn't fully appreciate it or recognize it beforehand. And to the rest of you, thank you for listening. If you made it this far, I really appreciate you checking out a, another episode of the Blind Shots podcast. I hope you liked what you heard here and that you'll subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Maybe share an episode with your friends, share a link to the show on social media, or maybe even leave a review on the sh- for the show over on Apple Podcast. If you didn't like what you heard here today, sorry, I can't do anything about that. That's 45 minutes that you're not going to get back, but I will try to do better next time, I promise. And I hope you will join me next time here on the Blind Shots Podcast. Most importantly, I hope you're being safe and smart and staying sane out there playing golf when you can. Remember our guiding principle here at the Blind Shots Podcast. Do decide to go for it and take dead aim. down to was it stone lick that time and we all played which was 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 fun and i had just got that like brand new little little jar of that cbd oh, cream that's right yeah and i was like i was just like getting just a very little bit of it on my finger and like you know rubbing it on my elbow i was savoring it he's like hey might i try that and he went in there like <laughs> i would expect paul bunyan taking a pinch of you know tobacco and i mean came out of there with like a whole like three fingers full of it and started lathering it up and i was like he owes you 15 <laughs> bucks <laughs> i was like what the he's like oh i got a lot of that didn't i i didn't want to be a drink and say yeah you did no you should like, holy <laughs> shit don't let him bully you fred <laughs> I was afraid he was going to yell at me again, that, Dave. That's, I was going to say that that one's out of the barn already, Dave. That that horse is long gone. <laughs> oh, that was great. I was thinking about that not too long ago, and I was looking over there. I was like, "Oh man, I remember that." <laughs> <laughs>